Do terrorists such as the Islamic State pose a significant threat to the integrity of IT systems? Hello, I'm Eric Charbro of Information Security Media Group, and to talk about that and other topics, I'm pleased once again to be speaking with Jim Lewis, Director and Senior Fellow for the Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, a Washington think tank. Welcome, Jim. Hey, thanks for having me on. We just posted a story that contends that the cyber threat from the Islamic State terror group is minimal, if at all. Still, people worry about cyber terrorism. Should they be concerned about terrorists crippling critical IT systems? We've been waiting for this to happen for a very long time, and uh, there's been no trace of it, which might be a hint about how much we should worry. There's a couple things going on. The first is the people who make up the terrorist groups are psychotic, and they want physical violence. Cyber attacks uh, don't do it for them, right? Don't scratch the itch. Don't meet their strategic goals. The second thing is it's not clear that they have much in the way of capability. The only group that might be approaching the threshold of having some truly disruptive capability is Hezbollah. And they are in this position because of their links to the Iranian government. For other groups like ISIS, they're not going to be getting help from the Iranians anytime soon. And I don't think they're going to find cyber attacks that attractive in uh, their goal of imposing a caliphate on the Euphrates Valley. Why do you suspect people are so concerned? Well, because the, people worry about terrorism and people worry about cyber attacks. And they put the two next to each other and say, aha, right? It turns out that the truly damaging cyber attacks are still, fortunately, uh, hard to do. And so when you think of a Stuxnet or even an Aramco-style attack, the number of people who could do that is relatively small. Second, those people or people who might have interest in doing that, some of them are deterred. You know, they may live in a, a Western country where they're likely to be arrested. Some of them live in sanctuary countries like Russia, but the Russians have very tight control and aren't going to let someone do a cyber attack that they don't approve of. The political dynamic and the technology dynamic work against cyber terrorism. Is there any damage if governments focus too much on cyber terrorism? Well, there's two parts to this. On the defensive side, you know, anything you do to make a system harder to disrupt is good. Whatever's motivating you, whether it's a state proxy or a nation state or a terrorist group, it doesn't matter as long as you harden uh, the system. On the negotiating side, I think it matters very much because you want to really focus on uh, state opponents and state proxies. That's where the bulk of the malicious activity comes from, not from cyber terrors. A defense that works against terror will work against anybody within reason. Going out and working with others, cyber terrorism shouldn't be the focus. Okay, so where is the threat to the United States, our allies, coming from? Is it China, Russia, Iran, somewhere else? That would be it. China, Russia, Iran. If those uh, countries were not uh, active against us in exploiting networks, the bulk of the problem would go away. And that could change over time, but right now, those three countries, and particularly Russia and China, are responsible for the majority of malicious cyber instances. But I'm gathering what they're after is not necessarily to take down U.S. infrastructure. You know, they're after military trade secrets, maybe criminal actions, things like that. Both Russia and China have looked at how they could disrupt critical systems the same way we've done it to them. 
Do they have it as a military tool? Sure. Are they going to start a war with the U.S.? No. The wild card here is really Iran, because the Iranians haven't done espionage. They haven't done financial crime to any great extent, but they have looked at how to cause disruption. So I think they're the ones who are most likely, and they came very close, of course, last fall, most likely to uh, doing something, an Aramco-style attack against U.S. companies. And you said last fall, doing what? Uh, the Iranians, I gather from uh, second-hand evidence that they began to prepare for a Aramco-style attack against some U.S. Uh, energy-critical infrastructure companies. Now, they didn't go all the way down the path. Yeah, they're rational and they calculate, too. If we imposed new sanctions and broke off talks on nuclear weapons and said we were going to stop working with them against ISIS, cyber attack might become attractive. But right now, they don't get anything from doing it. That doesn't mean they couldn't do it, and it doesn't mean they won't do it in the future. How, how are our defenses? Well, better than they were. I guess that's the good news. And, you know, when you talk to uh, companies and to agencies, what you hear is that it's an uneven landscape. Some companies that are relatively well prepared, other companies that are not. It, it varies from sector to sector. It varies with company size. But there are more companies in the good column than there were five years ago. So that's progress of a sort. Uh, let's switch over to uh, Capitol Hill, Washington, leg legislation that is before Congress, which often does not get enacted. Uh, one of those pieces is cyber threat information sharing. It has passed the House. It's stalled in the Senate. I get a sense that companies and governments are doing a better job today sharing cyber threat information. Is such a law needed or do they understand the threat and more sharing is going on? You know, the issues are um, liability, antitrust, some of the obstacles that come out of uh, our privacy laws for sharing information on cybersecurity. You need legislation to change those things. You need legislation maybe to extend FOIA ex exemptions, for example. Uh, you need legislations to sh legislation to shield people from liability. That's going to be tricky to write that law, but you'll need to do it at some point. And you may need to think about incentives. In ye olden days, uh, Washington wouldn't have had that much trouble coming up with tax breaks for some of these things, next to impossible now. So we will ultimately need legislation. In the interim, a lot of companies have developed workarounds where if they really care, they can share information. So in defense, banking, the big telecom companies, they do a pretty good job of sharing. How about some of the critical other critical infrastructures, such as power, water, things like that? Not clear. I mean, it, it's, again, we don't have a good sense of how it works on a national level. So in, in some areas, the water company, the power company, the telecoms, and some of the other critical, the government, the local government, they've got a pretty good system set up for sharing information, for coordinating their defenses. Um, in other places, we don't know if it exists. That's probably a hint that it doesn't exist. One of the things to look for is state governments some of their information sharing centers developed for counterterrorism may be stepping into the role because they're tired of waiting for federal action. Are we in more danger because we haven't passed uh, cyber threat information sharing legislation? No, we, we're in about as much danger as we were beforehand. I mean, we haven't done anything to make ourselves safer, which is irresponsible, but we're not in any greater danger. My usual joke line on this is things can't get worse because they're already about as bad as they can be. <laughs> but that's not fair for critical infrastructure. We are a little safer than we were five years ago. Maybe I should have asked the question differently. Would we, would we be safer if we had this legislation? 
Oh, no doubt about it. Not a lot safer. Uh, information sharing has its limits, but it can be useful. And the, the most useful kind of information sharing is the ability to exchange uh, operational information while an attack is occurring. In that very short period of a few hours, one company gets hit and is able to communicate and share with other companies on what the attack looks like, what they've done that has succeeded in stopping it, if they have been able to. And you see that in defense, uh, you see that in banking. It's the ability of uh, CIOs or CISOs to quickly share uh, operational information that could make a difference. Another bill that has been stalled stalled for many years is FISMA reform, Federal Information Security Management Act, the law that governs uh, federal government IT security. It seems it's always so close, uh, Congress, that there's just a few things that seem to separate people who support it and oppose it. In this case, it might be the role that DHS has. Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea that the administration, some senators want to give more sway to uh, DHS in overseeing civilian agencies, cybersecurity. Others, people are reluctant. The House has passed FISMA reform with Democratic backing, uh, but it seems to be stalled in the Senate. Do you see any kind of movement happening this year on that? Any compromise coming? No, a lot of the impetus for FISMA reform um, has gone away because the government hasn't waited for Congress to act. A lot of the motivation we had, say, in 2012 just doesn't exist anymore. Still useful, I guess. It would be nice to have, but it's not crucial. The DHS role is a, is a different story. That's a tough one. You can see this even in the military, which is much more disciplined than the civilian agencies. Cyber Command can tell people to do things, and not everybody does that. Right? And so if they can't exert complete discipline, how much do we think DHS is going to be able to exert discipline? With, with or without a law? Yeah, even with a law, it's going to be very difficult for them. The alternatives are uh, OMB or maybe GSA. That's what you're looking at. And in the past, some people have said, hey, go with OMB. They're at the White House. They control the budget. They have a lot more influence. They're not big enough to do the job. I, I thought OMB was the agency that sort of oversees. They, they are. They are. And what's the polite way to say this? They don't have the resources to, to do everything we need to do. So the theory is if you gave it to DHS, we could accelerate improvement in civilian systems. I think what you'll probably see is no legislation and a stronger partnership between OMB and DHS. I mean, that's a model that will work. Which is what I guess the administration is trying to do and whether the next president will continue doing that or not, probably just the inertia of it will, I guess they'll continue doing it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the next president has on their agenda. I mean, there's a lot of unfinished business, particularly with the Congress, and how much they're willing to push on this stuff. A lot of what will determine that is how likely some kind of uh, unhappy event will be. They're starting to pile up. And when you get Target and Home Depot and a bunch of others, uh, people are beginning to complain in a way they never complained before. And if there is some kind of disruptive action, which we can't rule out, then I think you're going to see much faster movement. And would that include a national data breach notification law? People want that. Well, Congress has done whatever it's done for the last couple of years. People eventually got bored or fed up. And so the states are passing their own data breach laws. And the companies now are saying, wait a minute, we don't want 50 different laws. We want one federal law. So that one in a less dysfunctional Congress has a good chance of passing. Okay, and that's a key word, less dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> hey, grounds for optimism. <laughs> okay, but, but probably not this year. Ask me this uh, in January. Yeah, that's what I figure. Well, Jim, it's always fun to talk with you. I thank you for taking time. Hey, sure. Thanks a lot. Okay, that's Jim Lewis of the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I'm Eric Chabro. 
Thanks for listening.